0: Philippians. If you'd make your way to the book of Philippians, we continue in our verse-by-verse study through this Pauline epistle, and you'll remember that we last studied chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and we learned about practical unity in the local church, and we looked at some components or some elements in order to experience unity in the church, uh, and they're listed in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 in that we're called to be joy-givers, if you'll notice in verse 2 of chapter 2, fulfill ye my joy. We're called to be like-minded, that you be like-minded, it says in verse 2, to be devoted to love, having the same love, (coughs) that we're to be joined in soul, that is, we're to be of one accord, of one mind, we're to set our our thinking our purpose on the same thing, and then in verse three to and verse four, to walk humbly with one another. Now when that delectable fruit is tasted in a local church, there is going to be unity among the brethren. And Psalm says how pleasant, how precious it is when brethren live together in unity. You ever been in a local church? situation where there was pronounced and profound disunity. Anybody ever experienced that? It is about as painful uh, as can be experienced. I guess maybe only other than uh, marriage, a difficult marriage, would be uh, any more painful. But in a local church when there is disunity, oh, what what uh, anguish of soul that is. Well, Philippians chapter 2, uh, beginning in um, in, uh, in verses 1 through 4, it speaks about these components of unity, but it might be that it's somewhat abstract. Well, I'd like to know what that looks like. I'd like to see that in action. And so, verses 5 through 8, the Spirit of God led the Apostle Paul to give us the consummate example of humility, which ends up generating unity unity, and of course the consummate example is just uh, uh, from the hymns that Michael played, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so if you would, we'll look at Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now this passage, and spilling over into verses 9 through 11 as well, has been preached often, many times, to summarize the glorious work of Christ in coming uh, as man, the incarnation, his glorious work that is on the cross, uh, the death, burial, resurrection of Christ, the ascension uh, of Christ. And to be sure, this passage teaches that, it presents those truths. But, and I'm going to highlight those next week, not going to highlight those today because proper interpretation is most dependent on context. The three most important things to inter- Bible interpretation is context, context, and context. And the context, you're ready to take your nitroglycerin pill, is not primarily on Christology in verses 5 through 8. Oh, it is full of Christology. It is overflowing with Christology, but that is used illustratively. It's not, it's, the, it's not the motivating thrust of Of verses 5 through 8. What is the motivating thrust of verses 5 through 8? Well, we see it in verse 5, namely that we are commanded, notice verse 5, for the mind of Christ to be in us. In other words, if we're going to experience the unity in the local church, verses 1 through 4 tells us that we are and gives us those operating elements or principles, we see it illustrated or exemplified in an exemplary way in and through the person of Christ. So the command and uh, the primary verb is, in fact, in verse 5, it's an imperative commanding the Philippians believers to think like Jesus thought. Now, you remember last, last time, two weeks ago, in verses 1 through 4, in verses 2 and 3 especially, I shared with you that three different times the idea of thought or thinking is mentioned. If you'll notice in verse 2 of chapter 2, uh, have the same or be like-minded. And then you'll notice uh, in, um, in um, verse 3 that in lowliness of mind. And why is this emphasized? And then in verse 5, let the mind of Christ direct you. Why is that so important? Well, the, the, uh, the writer of Proverbs understood that. And, the, and Proverbs 23, 7, a truism is, for as a person thinks in his heart, so is he. And so my belief, what I think, what, that upon which I set my mind, is going to direct my behavior. And so if, if I see what, who Christ was, and I see what he did, and I think on that, if I have that mindset, if I purposefully set my mind on that, there's going to be unity in the church, because it's going to be, uh, we have the perfect role model. Model. So, uh, verse five then is the transition from exhortation in verses one through four to illustration. Verses one through five to illustration. We're commanded to think like Jesus. Now, regarding this word in verse five, uh, the great Greek scholar, in fact, the author of Thayer's Greek Lexicon wrote this. He said, let this mind basically, essentially means to have a personal opinion that flushes itself out in action. In other words, it's attitudinal. It's purposeful. It's intentional. It, It is to adopt, to receive, to embrace a particular determined mindset. And the idea is both visceral as well as decisional. That is, it's it's a gut level. I'm not just thinking about it. I'm not just saying, oh, this is a nice idea. It's visceral. That is, I truly do want to behave uh, like Christ. I truly do want to emulate him, and it is decisional. Therefore, I'm going to actually plug in the truths in this passage because verse 5 tells me, I am to, and by the way, uh, the you there, let this mind be. Any of you all have a, a plural uh, translation? Uh, any, let this mind be in in you all, in y'all. <laughs> Anybody have that? Or in ye, which is uh, which is it's a plur, it's a plural pronoun pronoun. So Paul, by the Spirit of God, told all the Philippians, and by extension, all of us, all of you are commanded. Some imperative verb, commanded to walk, behave in the mind. Of Christ. So Christ is used illustratively uh, in calling the church to unity. Now, let's get into the three ways that he is uh, the example for us. Again, he is the example, the consummate example of humility, which if I will adopt that and I will live in, that, uh, in the spirit of that, I can't help but be one of of the body, which is a unifying factor. I will not be a divisive factor. I will not be uh, disunifying. I will not soil the body. I will not cause disease. I will, in fact, infuse health into the body, which is what chapter 2 is introducing for the local church. First of all, we see that Jesus is our example of selflessness. Notice in verse 6, if you would, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Selflessness, the consummate example of humility, first plays out in selflessness. Well, how is that? God became man. That is, he did not... Determined that holding on to his uh, uh, to his divine status—that is, uh, uh, ruling and reigning as uh, in the Godhead—was something that he was going to hold on to, or grasp, or hold on uh, with his claws. And you can't drag him out of here. No, 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 no. It was precisely the opposite. He was not selfish, but he was selfless. Now think about that. We're talking about the omnipresent Son of God became the stationary or or the singularly present Son of Man. We're talking about the omnipotent Son of God became the Son of Man who grew tired. We're talking about the omniscient, all-knowing Son of God who had to grow in his stature and his wisdom with God and man is recorded in one of the gospels. This is an amazing thing. Folks, for the creator God to step out of, uh, of heaven, as it were, and become the creature man is a lowly thing. It is a selfless thing. The glory, the majesty, the eternal uh, 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 glory of God and the praise of all the heavenly host and, uh, and all that that involves, we cannot, can't even fathom, stepped away from that, stepped out of that, still retaining his divine status as it were. He didn't stop being God, but he took upon himself the lowly form of a creature is a selfless, a profoundly selfless act. I like how theologian Paul Rees summarized it. He wrote, Don't forget, cries Paul, that in all this wide universe and in all the dim reaches of history, there has never been such a demonstration of self-effacing humility as when the Son of God, in sheer grace, descended to this errant planet. Remember that never, never in a million eons, Would he have done it if he were the kind of deity who looks only to his own interest and closes his eyes to the interests of others? You must remember, my brethren, that through your union with him in living redemptive experience, this principle and passion by which he was moved must become the principle and passion by which you are moved. Ergo, the consummate example of humility... You are commanded to have this mind in you. And it's a mind, verse 6 says, of selflessness. He did not grasp or try to hold on to all the glory of, of being divine. He didn't divest himself of that. He simply took on, simply. He took on uh, the, uh, the rawness, if you will, the, uh, the lowliness of humanity. Compared to God, man is lowly. In fact, the psalmist was so blown away by that, he says, when I consider the heavens, the moons, the stars, everything that you have ordained, God, what is man that you're mindful of him? That's how lowly man is uh, compared to the glory of God. Christ willingly took that on. And so next week, I'm going to share that in greater detail. But suffice it to say, Jesus did not lose, he did not surrender his divine nature when he became man, but he set aside the prerogatives of that and was born, uh, uh, conceived in a, a, a human womb and was born and, uh, and experienced uh, pain and suffering and, and uh, discomfort and, and temptation and all that. Folks, that is selflessness personified, selflessness on display let that mind be in you that was in him. He temporarily set aside the prerogatives of what it means to be God and took upon himself the form of a servant. Now notice, if you would, in verse 6 of chapter 2, and thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That's plural. That word is plural. In other words, he didn't try to grasp a hold of all of the qualities of what it means to be God he didn't say I'm going to hold on to my omnipresence I'm going to hold on to uh, my uh, my omnipotence and I'm never going to grow tired I'm never going to be thirsty I'm never going to be hungry no no he set aside the prerogatives of what it means to be God and took upon himself the form of a servant made in the likeness of men I need to be less focused on me. And I say that that uh, that is not feigned humility. You know, if I always had the mind of Christ, uh, my family would be a lot better off. My church would be a lot better off. My community would be a lot better off. A lot better off because they would see the God-man on display... In and through me, because His Spirit lives in me. Amen. You follow the the illustration. We're commanded to be that one. I'm good. Hmm. Will you be the one? I didn't have any idea choir was singing that song this morning. Will you be the one, the selfless one? You see, we had the consummate example of humility, and it began in verse six by selflessly. Stepping outside of the glory of heaven and coming in the form of man. Secondly, we have the consummate example of humility in servanthood. Notice in verse 7, if you would. But he made himself of no reputation, no, no fanfare. took upon himself the form of a servant being made in the likeness of men. We know Jesus was the consummate example of humility in being a servant, but how did that come to pass? Well, as indicated, first by him emptying himself of the divine prerogatives while well, never ceasing to be God, and then by taking on himself um, the hum- the hum- I like this phrase, the humility of humanity. The humility of humanity. Uh, Only our God could do that and would do that. For it is a humbling thing for the creator God to be made like the creature. And so in his humanity, Jesus allowed himself to be tempted because he had to be tempted in every uh, every way that we are. So as to identify with fallen mankind, though without sin. He allowed himself to experience pain and rejection and, and all the rest in serving us. He did all of that as a humble servant. In fact, he was instructing his apostles as they were bickering about who would be the greatest. I'm not sure that's the context here, but it's that idea. And he said, but so shall it not be among you. Whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, your servant. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve even to the degree of washing the dirty feet of the apostles just to show what it means to have a servant's heart. And so he was selfless. He didn't have self-interest at all, perfectly selfless. And again, I reiterate, I could stand for a whole lot more selflessness you look in the mirror, maybe that would apply to you, maybe not, and serving others, caring for others. The Apostle Paul understood this principle as he taught the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 8 9, where he says, for you know, you already know this. I'm reminding you, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich and so I ask you and I ask myself in the final third of human life as best as statistics can say anything am I pouring out my life am I using time talents and treasure to serve God and what does it mean what does it look like to serve God what does it look like uh, actually in the flesh in the real world to serve God it means I'm serving others it means I'm caring for others. I am, I am showcasing the gospel. I'm a billboard. I'm a poster for the gospel by how I care for you. care for you in sharing the, the uh, life-changing, life-saving message of Christ, uh, 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 serving you, in, in, in you being built up, uh, in ministering to you in any number of ways. And so is your life right now... Are you obeying verse five, which said, Let the mind be in you, which was in Christ, selflessness and servanthood? How are you serving the Lord? I mean, actually, what what is it that what, what occupies your time in service to the Lord? I mean, get very practical. Uh, are you, are you, do you go on mission trips? Do you serve a, 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 as a Sunday school teacher? Are you working in a one? Uh, are you witnessing on the job? Are you distributing? Are you holding a backyard Bible club? I mean, just, it's just a zillion. There's a, such, it's so wide open for ways to serve God by ministering to those around you. There's any number of ways, and I challenge you to obey verse 5 because it's illustrated in verse 7 that he became a servant. Uh, Paul reminded the Corinthians of that. We've been made rich through his poverty. And then we see, thirdly, in verse 8, uh, the third example of Christ's humility, and that is the example of sacrifice. If you'll notice in verse 8, it says, in being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Again, the consummate example of humility, and became obedient unto death. And it's almost like it's almost like Paul slapped himself on the head. Can you believe it? Even death of the cross. And, and it's very interesting in the Greek New Testament. Became obedient to death, death of a cross. The word death, thanatos, is used back to back with nothing in between. He became obedient to death, death, cross death. Um, just as agonizing and as humiliating um, as one could ever imagine. God the Son died as a man so that you as man could live as a son of God, as a child of God. What an amazing thing that is. Ralph Martin wrote, His obedience is a sure token of His deity, And authority. For only a divine being can accept death as obedience. For ordinary men, it's a necessity. He alone, as the obedient son of his father, could choose death as his destiny. And he did so because of his love, a love which was directed both to his father's redeeming purpose and equally to the world into which he came. I ask you, and I ask myself, and I've thought about this, right now is the first time in my life that i've ever really recognized uh, that i have i don't have to i don't have to contemplate and plan and think about every 20 dollars bill uh, that i spend that's that's new for me uh in the past uh, uh, 35 to 40 years that was not the case uh, it is the case now that's why uh, uh people call me the gold digger when i bought uh mary kathy and not her being the gold digger <laughs> uh And so that, but what that does is, that puts a heightened responsibility on my life. Y'all appreciate that? To whom, say it with me, to whom much is given, what? Much is required. Let this mind, you're commanded to let this mind be in you, which was in him. He was selfless. He was a servant. And he was sacrificial. And so am I giving, truly giving from the depth of my heart, time, talents, and treasure, To live out the command in verse 5. To make a difference for the cause of Christ. And what a cause it is. Uh, This week, uh, uh, in studying this passage, uh, the song by um, Luke somebody. Uh, Luke Garrett, thank you. Uh, a wondrous exchange uh, has been running through my mind. I've, I've played it a couple times, played it for Kathy this morning. We had a, glorious, a glory fit. Uh, Kathy said, I can, I can uh, visualize Chuck Wayne Scott singing that song, and he has here before. It says a wondrous, th- <clears throat> I'm going to try it. A wondrous exchange, a wondrous exchange, an offer so great. I love this line. I can scarcely... Believe his crown for my shame, his loss for my gain, his death <clears throat> for my life, and then it finishes. What a wondrous exchange! It's a wondrous, it's like it's such a wondrous exchange. I can barely take it in, I can barely conceive. of of such a thing, that the God of glory would be so humble as to put on the frailty of humanity in order to manifest what it looks like to be selfless, to be a servant, and to sacrifice himself for me. It truly is amazing. And I'm commanded to walk in That type of humility, which will yield the fruit of unity in selflessness, in service, and in sacrifice. How? i got to empty myself. I have to get out of my own way. (laughs) Vic, you are not most important. You are not number one in your life. He is. His glory is. Amen? Anybody identify with that? It's what his will is. And he has saved me and sustained me these decades, just past my 46th spiritual birthday, to serve him, to be selfless, to sacrifice, to give all, to give of your sons and daughters and your finances. To send them on their way. As the mission hymn tells us. I have to empty myself. Walk humbly before the Lord and others. And in doing that, he is high and lifted up. All of our attention, we won't have any problem being like-minded. Because he's the one high and lifted up. He's the one in blazing glory in our hearts and minds. So we don't have time to worry about other things, but how glorious he is. And I want to follow that and then emulate that, reflect that, as he is uh, the example who's been given to us. The consummate example of humility. Lord, I'm so thankful for your word and, and the truth of it and the power of it. My, we've been given a command, and we've been given an example of a human, to be sure, the God-man, who manifested that. And we're called to have that mind, to have that purpose, that determined will that he demonstrated. So, Lord, would you, in fact, you have empowered us as your children from through instruction from your word, by your spirit, convicting us, uh, sustaining us, comforting us, granting us insight, wisdom. And you've given us a world of opportunity to give financially, to give of time, to work hard in service to you. I'm so thankful that that is being realized in In so many lives here, I even venture to say the majority are involved in the work of God. Give you thanks. Lord, would you touch every heart. Challenge each one. I'm serving you, but I still see too much self getting in the way. And I want to be used of you all my days to make a difference for the gospel's sake. So burn these truths of selflessness, of servanthood, of sacrifice into our hearts so that we may obey the command, the mind of Christ being how we want to operate as well. Every head bowed, all eyes closed, just in the quietness of this moment. Maybe you're convicted and and you ought to be from this text as I ought to be If I'm more focused on how's it going for me, what's going on with me, do I have enough? Am I getting my will accomplished? Am I being considered or am I being overlooked, discounted, disenfranchised, dismissed by others? Is the mind of Christ in you? Are you trying to save the stuff? Instead of use all God has entrusted to you in service to him. Lord, would you move in our midst. Touch the hearts of your children. Where repentance is needed, you would call those to repent who are not honoring you with time talents and treasure where there is a mindset of coasting Lord I'm reminded coasting is going downhill but that we would reach for the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus and serve you with diligence with vigilance with vigor and gusto all our days. Lord, do this work in the hearts of your people and you'll be praised. We'll be unified. The work of God.